thus far these announcements. Would you now turn with me in your Bible? I want to read with you, first of all, I want to read from Psalm 8. I'm going to read the entire psalm. The superscription says, The glory of the Lord in creation. I want to read that together with you. We've just sung of it. I want to now read it with you in connection with Lord's Day 47. Psalm 8. Hear the word of God with me. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Then I invite you also to turn with me to Lord's Day 47 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You'll find that on page 894 in the back of your uh, your, uh, Psalter hymnal. Page 894, question and answer 122. And I remind you that this is your confession of faith as it is mine. But the question that comes to us, congregation, is this. What does the first petition, that's the first petition of the Lord's Prayer then, what does the first petition mean? Hallowed be your name means help us to truly know you to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word and the summary of that word as we find it in the creeds and confessions of the church. Once again, may God add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word. Beloved congregation gathered with me here in Salem and Bowmanville this afternoon, imagine if you can, imagine yourself out in the fields of Ephrata with the shepherds on that night that Jesus was born. All is quiet dark and suddenly the darkness was shattered and the heavens pealed with the voices of the holy angels singing or saying glory to God in the highest that was the first word that the holy angels sang out of the heavens when the birth of the God man was announced over the fields of Bethlehem glory to God glory to God in the highest and then some 30 years later having become a man and having begun his teaching and preaching ministry, Jesus lays those same words on the lips of his disciples as he teaches them how to pray. In effect, he says to them, when you pray, you remember they had come to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then he says, when you pray, you begin with giving glory to God, our Father 
who art in heaven. We heard that last week. Hallowed be thy name. He says, when you bow down before God, when you want to go to him in prayer, you do it in this way, uh, says Jesus. You say, our Father who is in heaven, or art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's how we are to start our prayers. Not with a shopping list of our wants or our perceived needs. No, Father, hallowed be thy name. Congregation, go back with me for a minute and remember the story of Joseph in the Egyptian prison. You know the story. He did not know what was going to happen to him. For two years already he had been there. He had hoped that the king's cupbearer would remember him to the king, but obviously he did not. He had forgotten him. And Joseph continued to languish in a foreign prison in a strange land among strange people. We can hardly even imagine the emotions that must have coursed through his heart and mind, but whatever, whatever we may not know about him, we do know that Joseph was a child of God, and as such, he would have spent much time in prayer. And imagine now again for a moment that somehow you and I could have stood next to him in his cell and listened to him while he was on his knees in prayer to his heavenly father. What do you suppose we would hear him saying to his father in heaven? I imagine that I would hear him say something like, Merciful Father, thou art powerful and almighty. Deliver me from my distress. Just one word from thy lips, Lord. Just one word and it will happen. Oh, Lord, look on me in my distress and deliver me. But, but, but because he was a child of his heavenly father, he would have understood the principle of hallowed be thy name. Even though the Lord's prayer had not even yet been given, he would have known that God's honor and glory was to come first. And therefore, Joseph's prayer would not have stopped after his cry for God's deliverance. Oh, no. He would have begged God to be delivered, but he would have immediately gone on in his prayer and say, Father, I so much would like to be delivered from this prison and I would so much like to be vindicated of this injustice. But Father, if thy name is glorified more by my remaining in this prison, then let me stay in this lonely cell. For even then thou art still with me to comfort me. And Lord, if it be more to the honor of thy name that I should die here, then grant me, O Father, the necessary grace to remain faithful and to die for thee with thy holy name upon my lips. Lord, I have learned that thine own glory and honor must take priority in all things. And therefore, O Father, whatever happens to me is not of any real import, but what happens to thy holy name and to thy reputation, that's my great his concern, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is but one example. We could multiply it a thousand times, but that is the essence of the first petition. Lord, grant us first of all the desire and the ability to hallow thy name. And it is in that context that we also hear the Apostle Paul when he explained to the Philippians that his only hope was that Christ would be magnified whether it was by his living or by his dying. The only thing that mattered was the name of God. The only thing that mattered to the Apostle Paul was that the name of God would be glorified, magnified, and made great. 
You see, says Paul to the congregation, it's not that serious that my life is at stake. No. Oh, I would like to remain and teach you more of the gospel, but in order to glorify God, I am willing to be the least. In fact, I'm willing to die if that is more glorifying to God. Lord, grant me first to sanctify, to glorify, to praise thee. Hallowed be thy name. And so I want to administer God's word to you this afternoon following the leading of the catechism as we consider the significance of the petition, hallowed be thy name. We'll, however, consider first of all for a moment the significance of the, the order of the petitions. We then want to consider what it is that we're asking in this petition. And then finally, we want to consider some of the ways whereby we are to hallow his name. And so hallowed hallowed be thy name. First of all, the order of the petitions, the structure, the order, what, what it is we're asking, and some of the ways whereby we can hallow his name. And I remind you once again that there came a day that the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus does so. He says, when you do it, do it in this manner. And in this model prayer, Jesus gives to them six petitions or six requests. And those six requests are a complete summary of all the things that we are to pray for. The six petitions include all of our needs. And as we study carefully each petition in turn, the Holy Spirit of God will teach us what are the right and the proper things to pray for and how we are to pray for them. The six petitions of the Lord's Prayer are divided into two parts. The first three are, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And it's not hard to notice that these three are concerned to seek the glory and the honor of God first of all. It is not until we come to the fourth petition of the six that we begin to pray for our own needs with the words, Give us this day our daily bread. People of God, the order of these petitions is significant, and we need to pay attention to that. You see, the Lord teaches his disciples the art of prayer, but at the very beginning, by, by the way that Christ puts the prayer together, he teaches them and us that when we pray, the glory of God and the furthering of his kingdom must be first, and man and his needs need to come second. We may indeed pray. We may indeed ask for certain things for ourselves, but we may do so only after God's glory and kingdom have been prayed for first. And congregation, it would be the burden of my own pastor's heart that among all of contemporary Christianity, this biblical norm is a religious concept that has been all but lost. Man by nature is self-centered, self-seeking. And even within the church, men and women forget and are often more concerned about their own needs than they are about God's needs or God's glory and God's honor. And it is that principle that Christ teaches his disciples in the way that he composes or structures the order of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Some time ago, I read in a religious periodical of a survey of 43, 43 young men preparing for ministry. 
and they were asked how they would change and improve the church once being ordained in their congregations. And I was utterly amazed and dismayed when reading that to a man, each of them said that the Christian church today had missed its mark because the church today does not gear her programs to the needs of man. The church needed to be more relevant to the men and women in the pew of the day, they said. The church has failed her members miserably, they said, and they proposed to shore up the sagging walls of the church by making her more man's need-centered and more people-oriented. Man and his needs were to be made to feel more central in the church. That was the answer. My spirits were somewhat lifted when the next month the issue came out. I read a reply by way of a letter to the editor penned by a young lady who suggested that these men were training, who were training for the gospel ministry had not even begun to understand the very fundamentals of the Christian religion and therefore in spite of their formal training, according to her, rightly so, they were not qualified to lead and to instruct God's people and they ought to abandon or at least be put out of the ministry. Along with the scriptures, I could only say amen when I read this letter. I praise God for her scriptural insight when she wrote, the whole problem with the church today, she said, the whole problem with the church today is precisely what these seminarians are proposing. The church has already become man-centered, and all of it at the expense of God's glory. She concluded with much insight, saying, when men and women go to church, the first thing they need to learn from their preachers is that in all things, but especially in the church, the first thing that must be sought is not man's needs, much less man's wants. No, 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 a thousand times no, she read. She said, God's glory must be man's chief concern first of all. Men and women need to be taught once again the biblical command that in man's worship of God, God and his glory must be sought first and foremost. Would that the churches were full of men and women like this lady. Congregation, much of contemporary Christianity has embraced the secular view of me first. Even in their relationship to God and the sin is not foreign to us. How often do we not, even as Christians, go to God in prayer with all of our needs first of all? We have a long shopping list, if you will, of all the things we think we need. And God's honor isn't even given a thought. How often do we not see people leaving a particular church claiming that their church didn't provide what they wanted? Their needs were not being met in that particular church, so they left seeking a church <coughs> more conducive for their needs. And people of God, I suspect that in that church their greatest needs were being met, but perhaps their own wants were not. And throughout it all we see a failure to understand one of the fundamental principles of the Christian religion, God first me last or at least second but that's a hard lesson for fallen hearts to learn especially in our culture of me first and so even in this model prayer Jesus reminds us to seek first the kingdom of God but just what does that mean when we say 
hallowed be thy name. Well, for us to hallow or to make holy God's name means that we give God the supremacy. It means that we set him above all else in our thoughts and in our lives. It is to demonstrate the exact opposite of the builders of the Tower of Babel who said, let us make us a name. To pray, hallowed be thy name, is the very opposite of the spirit of the king Nebuchadnezzar who said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of my kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Do you hear the difference? Nebuchadnezzar placed all of the attention upon himself. He wanted all and sundry to know what he had done and what he was. But Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. When you pray, go to God and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And notice carefully with me that hallowed be thy name in the context of the Lord's Prayer is a petition or a request. We could rephrase it to read, Our Father who art in heaven, may thy name be hallowed. It is asking God that his name might be hallowed and now to the undiscerning mind that doesn't sound right. For after all, God is Almighty God. His name is already holy. Whether we want to confess it or not, men and women can close their eyes to the holiness of God, but that won't make him any less holy. Why then does Christ teach us to ask God for the hallowing of his name? Well, St. Augustine, one of the church fathers, captured that spirit of the petition very well when he penned the words, to pray that God's name may be hallowed does not mean that God's name is not already hallowed, for it is, but we pray that God's name may be revered as being holy by all men. And of course, that includes all women as well. And my dear people of God, properly understood then, the first petition of the Lord's Prayer is a missionary prayer. It is a prayer then for an increase in the knowledge of God in the world. Read once for your own benefit and edification Psalm 72. The closing two verses of the psalm read this way. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Our doxology is taken almost literally from this psalm. Oftentimes we close our worship service by singing, Now blessed be Jehovah God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous works in glory that excel, and blessed be his glorious name to all eternity. The whole earth let his glory fill. Amen, so let it be. Do you, do you see it? Do you capture it? the psalmist already even before the Lord's Christ came into the world already then he prayed that God's name would be hallowed for all eternity throughout the entire world and is now that same request that Christ lays upon our lips in this petition Jesus teaches us here to pray that God's name may be held as holy not only by us by us as well but by the whole earth at the very beginning of our prayer, our Lord instructs us that we are to pray that it might please God. 
to increase a reverence for his name among all men in all nations of the world. It's a prayer then that we may preach the gospel with boldness and confidence and conviction. And it is a prayer that which asks for God's blessing upon that as consequence of the preaching that in order that God may become known and honored by all men. But then as we notice in our confession, it's also a personal prayer. We read that this petition is a request that we might rightly know him. That seems right to us. For how will we, how can we glorify him unless we first of all rightly know him? But what does that mean? Well, again, to rightly know him means that we are to be eager to possess, first of all, to possess a right knowledge of him. This prayer then implies that we ask our Father that he might give us right, true knowledge of him as that is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. To pray this first petition then means that we earnestly request of God that we receive an increase in our knowledge about him through the reading, the searching, and meditating upon the scriptures as well as and especially through the preaching and teaching of that word as it is taught in the home, the Christian school, and in the church. The prayer of this petition implies that we thereby bring down God's indispensable blessing upon all of the means for the preservation and dissemination of the true knowledge of God. Putting those pieces together now for a moment, then we are naturally inclined to pray to God that the church may be preserved and extended that the church might receive grace to be zealous for the maintenance of the truth and militant against all error. For after all, the church is the guardian of that true knowledge of God. Hallowed be thy name is a prayer that the church may be wholly committed and devoted to the proclamation of truth both within and outside of her walls and to the uttermost parts of the world. It's a prayer that we and our children, wherever we may receive Christian instruction, be that in the home, in the church, or in the school, that we may be nurtured in the fear and admonition of the truth of the Lord in order that we might grow in grace and in knowledge and that we might come to rightly know him. My dear people of God, ultimately we when we pray God that we and all men might rightly know God and glorify God, that means that we and all men, that we might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and that we might come to know him as Savior of our souls and Lord of our lives and that therefore it is our heart's delight to serve him with all of our life and living and all of our being. Congregation Christ lays upon our lips the prayer, hallowed be thy name. And he thereby wants us to know that in our prayers to God, it is our duty to disregard ourselves and to give first priority to him. Anything and everything we ask for must come after we have sought to glorify God. We cannot pray aright unless the glory of God is our first and foremost desire. Capture this well with me, people of God. The concept is urgent for us. When we pray using the words, hallowed be thy name, it needs to create in us a desire to nurture, to cultivate, and to be in possession of a deep, deep, reverent sense of the awesome, majestic, holiness, 
of a thrice holy God. And we are to pray in this petition for an ardent, urgent, and fervent desire to honor his holy, holy, holy name. When you go to God praying, hallowed be thy name, it is to capture what was taught to Moses when he would approach God in the burning bush. You know the story. He was told, wait, stop, take off your shoes, for you are standing on holy ground. Oh, that we too could be convinced of that holiness of God when we pray. How often do we not fail to realize that he is the almighty the Holy One of Israel, creator of all things, and the one from whom we receive all things. How often are we not so concerned about ourselves that we forget that it is only from him and out of him that we live and move and have our being? How often don't we, even in our prayers, forget that we stand in the presence of an awesome, majestic, just, and merciful God who is holy, 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 how often do we not read in scripture that even the holy angels hid their faces under their wings because they could not bear to look at his infinite majesty and his holiness. May our conduct as creatures then be any different in our presence, in the presence of our creator? Of course not. And to that end, in order that we might hallow God's name, Christ lays upon our lips at the very outset of the prayer the words, Our Father who art in heaven. May thy name be hallowed by us and by all men. May thy name be made holy by us and by all men. May thy name be made great by us and by all men. But how do we do that? The catechism points the way. In asking that God's name may be hallowed, we pray that we may so order our lives our lives, our thoughts, our words, and our actions, that thy name may not be blasphemed, but honored and praised on our account. People of God, there you have it. There you have it. What does it mean to pray, hallowed be thy name? It means that we pray that God would grant us the desire and the ability, that God would grant us the necessity or the necessary grace so that we will with all of our being, in all of our living, with all of our essence, every moment of our lives we may glorify his name and that we might receive the necessary strength to refrain from doing, saying, or even thinking of doing anything, anything that would dishonor his holy name. People of God, follow this with me for a few moments as we bring this all home and we apply it to our own lives. Follow this with me. The more that we seek God's glory and honor, the less we will be concerned about ourselves. And now remember with me, if we ask the question, why did God create us? What is the reason that we exist in this world? And the answer from scripture is our only purpose is to glorify God and as consequence of doing that to enjoy him forever. And that's precisely what Jesus sought to instill us in this petition. He taught us to pray that our first concern would be to hallow God's name, to glorify him. So far, so good. 
But then we were created, but, but if then we were created and given the task to seek above all else God's glory, and if we then pray, hallowed be thy name, is it then not right and fitting that we not only pray, but that we also work towards that? Would it not be blatant hypocrisy on our part to pray that God may be glorified while we at the same time still put our own needs, our own wants, our own complaints first? Bear with me as we look at a biblical illustration as to what I mean here. We read in the Old Testament an incident where Israel was gathered together and they were worshiping the Lord. And then all of a sudden we hear God speaking through the prophet Micah indignantly. Where is my honor? You see what was happening there? There was Israel. And they were indeed worshiping the one only true God. They had come to him with the express purpose to worship him. And they were going through all of their proper exercises and motions. But, but, but they were not honoring God first of all. They were too concerned with themselves and their own interest in their own lives. <clears throat> and God became incensed and angry. And they heard him thunder, where is my honor? That's supposed to be your first concern. He explains to them that they were seeking their own interests instead of God's. How? Well, you can read the entire incident in the book of Micah. But in essence, Israel dishonored God in their worship by giving him the leftovers. God gave them everything they had. And they took what they needed and wanted first of all. And God simply needed to be pleased with the rest. God told them that they were offered to him the first fruits, the best from the very top of what they had received if they were to receive God's blessing. But instead, they kept the best for themselves. Where is my honor in that, says the Lord. People of God, bring it home with me now. When we gather for worship, if we seek to hallow his name in our worship of him, is it then not required of us as well to give God the very best we have? Follow with me. When we are then faced with certain options to set before the Lord in our worship, and one option is more pleasing to us, while the other gives greater honor to the Lord, which option do you think we should choose? Which option would you choose? And people of God, those choices begin already at home, even before the church service. When you're getting ready and you have to decide what to wear to church, and one option is more comfortable for you or more in fashion according to the world around you, yet it is not as appropriate for worship as something else you have in your closet, do you then make a choice which you know would better please the Lord? first of all, or do you choose what seems better to your wants? If you choose something more comfortable but less appropriate, are you then really more concerned about God's honor or your own comfort? Then in the elements of worship themselves, is it then not incumbent upon us, in fact, is it not required of us that we offer only that which is going to give God the most glory? If we then have options, one of which pleases us but is inferior, 
for instance, in the songs that we sing. If one pleases the Lord, but is in, but pleases us and is inferior, and another which is superior and brings glory to God. If then we choose to bring the one that pleases us, have we then really prayed this petition from the heart? When we hear of people who are not happy in the worship of God, giving as reason that they are not getting out of it what they want, unless they mean by that that God is not receiving his glory and that's what they want, if that's not what they meant, then their question is illegitimate. You see, if we pray from the heart that God may be glorified above all else, then the question for us may never ever, ever be, what do I get out of it? The question then must be, is God getting his glory? Have we offered him the very best of what we had in order that he may be glorified by us first of all? <coughs> serious things have been set before us again this afternoon, properly understood properly understood, we hardly dare to take this petition on our lips. But remember, even before Jesus taught us to pray for the hallowing of his name, he taught us that when we pray, we are going to our Father. And our Father knows our weakness. Our Father knows our failure. He knows our sin. But what a tremendously comforting thought to know that he also knows our hearts. He has seen your tears of repentance when you failed to honor the Lord in all of your ways. He sees your sinful failure and he knows that your offense has brought you to, the, to your knees asking God for forgiveness and in that vein John writes, if we confess our sin, then God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all our sin. In that confidence, in his strength, by his spirit, in his name, we confess our past failure and ask him again and again and again and again that he would give us the necessary grace whereby we may honor his name more fully in order that there be nothing, nothing in our lives, even in our minds, that would cause his name to be blasphemed or ridiculed. The Apostle Paul sums it up so eloquently when he says, Therefore, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we will do it all for the glory of God. Understand this well with me. If you take nothing else home with you from this sermon this afternoon, remember this. The great, all-encompassing purpose of the Christian is to seek the honor and the glory of God. Forgive me, but in this context, I believe the Westminster Shorter Catechism does a better job than the Heidelberg Catechism in its opening salvo. The Heidelberg asks, what is your only comfort in life and death? And we make that glorious confession of our faith. The Westminster Confession starts with, what is your only purpose? In other words, why did God make you? Why are you here? Why do you even exist? And then echoing the scripture, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, my only purpose in living, my only purpose in life, my only purpose for being here is to glorify God. And as consequence of that, 
uh, glorifying to then enjoy him forever. The Christian, and especially the Reformed Christian, knows no other purpose in life. Every thought, every word, every deed, every inclination, every action, every decision is directed to achieving the glory of God. For one who is not nominally but truly Christian, the question is never how little Bible study or how little knowledge can I get away with and still be considered a faithful Christian. For a Christian, the question is never how many church services can I skip before the question, before the consistory questions my commitment. No, for the child of God, the first, the last, and only question is always and only whether or not God is honored by what I do and say and even think. No matter what area of our lives, be that at work, at play, at school, at home, in the office, on the job site, in our marriages, in our family relationships, in our friendships, in our courtships, when we visit, when we entertain, when we are being entertained, or when we seek entertainment, and especially in the church, no matter what we do, our first question must always be, is God honored by me and by what I do? Will the friends I choose, will the people that I date, will the entertainment that I seek, will the schools to which I send my children, will the way in which I worship the Lord, will the way in which I do my work, will the way I spend my money and all all the rest and all that I do and I do mean all that I do will it meet with God's approval and receive his blessing because I am honoring the Lord in these things people about that posture and that attitude requires a great deal of wisdom commitment concentration and perseverance it requires work it requires hard work every day again and therefore our Lord in grace and mercy laid upon our lips as the very petition of our model prayer Father hallowed be thy name that is to say O Father grant us firstly to rightly to know thee to sanctify glorify and praise thee in all thy works in which thy power Thy wisdom, thy goodness, justice, mercy, and truth shine forth. Further, Father, grant that we might so order and direct our whole lives, thoughts, words, and deeds, that thy name may not be blasphemed, but honored and praised on our account. May it be so for each of us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Shall we pray? Lord, we have just sung the words together and we've heard it again from your word. How we are required to live before thy face. How we are to make great your holy name in all that we say and all that we do. In the way in which we live. Oh, Father, when we then examine our lives, we fall so far short. But then again, Father, we are raised to our feet by Christ himself who taught us to pray forgive us our sins also again of this day and then father we pray lord our lord in all the earth how great thy name thine the name of matchless worth excellent in all the earth